For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. We end here in our reading from God's word. The absence of thankfulness in our hearts is a serious matter in Scripture. It might help if we call it taking God for granted. So as an introduction to this concept, let me prove the seriousness of the lack of gratitude to God with a few points of biblical evidence before we get into our passage. Number one, taking God for granted is the first sin to avoid in the list of the Ten Commandments. Have no other gods before me. Number two, we as Christians are more guilty because we should know better. As Jesus said in Luke twelve forty-eight, to whom much is given, much will be required. Number three, the Apostle Paul in Acts seventeen twenty-five told his audience in the city of Athens that God himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. That means that every breath you draw, you, you draw as a gift from God. So in addition to breath, we get many other gifts from God as well. And those two we should thank God for. Number four, Ephesians 5.20 says we are to be, quote, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 5.20. Always, everything, Our whole lives should be ones of continually giving thanks. That's how God designed us. It's the moral will of God for our lives. For example, a few quick examples. Where did you get your intellectual ability? 
Where did you get your privilege of schooling, your first job opening? Uh, Those things all came from God. Or just even sitting here right now, who gave you a body that works? To the extent that it works, I understand aging. (laughs) I understand um, you know, some pain along the way, but two hands, two legs, two ears, all working okay. Who gave you a heart and mind that appreciate what God has done? God actually gives us the ability to give thanks itself. How close have we come to taking for granted all those spiritual blessings from God and even these earthly blessings too? And it's wrong. We're correcting that as we think this through. And one more, our fifth one, that story... In Luke 17, verses 11 through 19, of the ten lepers cleansed and only one came back, if God preserves our lives in some special way, it increases the expectation that we would acknowledge that and give thanks to God. Do we not all have a story about how we were almost goners, car accident, medical stuff, you name it? We all have stories like that, how we've been preserved from danger And especially in those times, do we need to give thanks for an unusual provision of God or deliverance from some difficult circumstance? So those five points just quickly to make this one point that the seriousness of a lack of gratitude to God is a biblical concern. Now that we've proven thankfulness is a serious matter in our spiritual life or the absence of thankfulness, Let's turn to our passage, Romans 1, see the wonderful gift of God. And the main point is there on your bulletin handout. By God's power, we are given a thankful heart so that we are enabled to express thanks. Number one, God expects us uh, to express thanks to him as our creator. Number two, he presses us to acknowledge him as God. And number three, he calls our minds to thankfulness to replace our conniving, senseless Darkness. So, number one, he expects us to express thanks to our Creator. To know that God is our Creator must necessarily lead to impulsive thanking of God. And what we'll see in a moment is that there's no excuse for failure for this one central task because we literally live within God's world of evidence of Himself as our good Creator. Above that, we are ourselves part of God's world of evidence of himself as our creator. We are ourselves the evidence of his good creation. Ought to give thanks to him. So leading up to our passage, if you look at Romans 1 and go back to verse 14, you'll see that Paul began with an obligation to preach the gospel in verse 14, then an eagerness to preach the gospel in verse 15, leading to his saying here, not being ashamed to preach the gospel in verse 16. Why the focus in verse 14, 15, and 16 about preaching, about preaching the gospel? Because of what the gospel is. So then verse 16 defines it for us. I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is, here's the definition of the gospel, the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Furthermore, what's revealed in the preaching of the gospel is explained in verse 17. The righteousness of God is revealed in the message of the gospel, the good news. And the righteous shall live by faith, a quote there from Habakkuk at the end of verse 17. By placing trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're given the gift of righteousness from God. How? By faith. 
And that brings us to verse 18. So notice verse 17 as compared with verse 18. What a contrast. Verse 18 says that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Remember what was revealed in verse 17? The righteousness of God. And now in verse 18, what's revealed? Wrath. The righteousness of God in 17, the wrath of God in verse 18. Why wrath? What was the evil that was done? What is the unrighteousness that was done? The end of verse 18 is very significant. What did the unrighteous men do? They suppressed the truth. Again, the next question, what truth? Verse 19, the facts about God are plain because God shows it to every person. What sort of facts? Verse 20, God's invisible attributes. Like what? His eternal power and divine nature. How can they see the invisible attributes of God in the created works of God? Verse 20, in the things that have been made. They live in the evidence laboratory and they should conclude from the evidence that they see that this God is powerful and divine. For example, a sunrise, a sunset, gravity. They live in a world where all these things remain true. Men, women, children, animals, mountains, rivers, oceans. You get the idea. Verse 20 provides, as it were, a closing argument for the case of the prosecution to indict every person. So they are without excuse. Okay? Then verse 21 clarifies the last phrase of verse 18, the description of men who by their unrighteousness suppress suppress the truth. Verse 21 now goes on to clarify this idea of suppressing the truth. The description of how men suppress the truth is that they inherently possessed the truth he refers to now as the knowledge of God in verse 21. If you look, it actually says this, quote, in verse 21, although they knew God. Did you catch that? They knew God. However, knowing their creator, they made a decision not to honor him as God. And so this expands on the idea of what was stated in verse 18 of suppressing the truth. And now we see in greater detail exactly what is the condition of these men. They suppress the truth by knowing that God is God, but not giving God credit for being God, being the creator. They know that they should thank God for being the creator and for sustaining them and to cause the sun to rise every morning, cause the sun to set every night, and carry them through the seasons and so on, that they should thank God as their creator and sustainer. But despite knowing that God is their own creator, they refuse to thank him. You see where I'm going with all of this? It's the big chapter. There's a lot here, but this is where we're focused. They will not thank God. They will not. You see it in verse 21. Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. They just won't. They experience thunderstorms with all the wind, rain, sounds, even flashes of light and lightning. And as my grandmother might say, they know good and well there's a God, but will not admit it. So what happens to these people? 
in verse 21, Paul wrote, they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Now this phrase, their foolish hearts. Notice that. In Paul's letters, his 13 letters, the word heart or hearts occurs more than 50 times. Paul is talking to us about that inner part of who we are, our mind, our heart, the real you. That heart, according to the apostle and in all of Scripture, is the hub of the wheel of a person's existence. The heart is the same as the mind. The inner person, it's the main, uh, main spring of all of our thoughts, words, and deeds. It's the power of motivation hidden away deep within a person. And the fact the heart is so hidden deeply within us that even your family members don't know all the secrets of your heart. Your spouse doesn't even know the deepest part of you And you don't even know the deepest things going on in your heart. Only God knows the full secrets of our hearts. Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart for it's the wellspring of life. And I had to throw this in from Jeremiah. Jeremiah 17.9, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Answer, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward a man according to his conduct, according to what his deeds deserve, Jeremiah 17, 9. Or again, Proverbs 23, 6. Do not eat the food of a stingy man. Do not crave his delicacies, for he's the kind of man who's always thinking about the cost. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. And again, from our Lord Jesus' words in Matthew 12, Make a tree good and its fruit will be good, or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad, for a tree is recognized by its fruit. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. God expected them to thank God, but their very thinking became useless. The proof of God is all around them, and yet they're constantly attempting to suppress the abundant evidence about God. Let's just take this one example. Weather. Both everyday regular weather and extreme weather. Let's say very extreme weather. An act of God. A hurricane, five and a half feet of snow. An act of God, right? Do they ever call it an act of God anymore? It's an act of who? They'll, They'll say Mother Nature, to avoid talking about God. Others will say, well, you know, it's a result of the jet stream. Uh, They came up with a new one a few years ago. It sounds really smart because you say it in another language. El Nino. It's El Nino, after all, that's causing this. Lately, a a common one, it's global warming. Right, right, yeah. Years ago, they said it was the melting of the ice caps. God keeps right on taking action above these jet streams without the existence of anything such as of Mother Nature. God keeps denying global warming every time. It's freezing cold in the middle of winter every year, and yet people do verbal and intellectual backflips in order not to give any credit to God or even mention Him. And this is only on the topic of weather. Remember, they know good and well there's a God. Don't get me started on ethics. They will not thank Him. For a beautiful, sunny afternoon with a cool breeze. They will not thank him when they see a mountain filled with orange, yellow, and brown leaves and red all in a display. They will not thank him. Blessings keep coming down. Thanks do not go up. What a dangerous place for a human heart to be. Made in God's image. 
living in God's world and refusing to thank him. Blessings are common. Thankfulness is not. So that's our first point. God expects us to express thanks to our creator. Then we move forward. Point two, God presses us to acknowledge him as God. Verse 22 says, although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. Notice there's a difference between what they claim to be the case and what is in the reality of their situation. Are they wise or foolish? The reality is that they're foolish. Why? Verse 23 tells us because they've traded gods. They broke the very first commandment. Instead of giving glory to the immortal God, the creator, they worship something on earth that he created. Maybe they worship themselves. Maybe they worship someone else or something else that God has created. These are the people who refuse to come back to the word of God to interpret the world as a source of truth. When a man's heart is darkened, it naturally follows that whatever that man thinks, whatever that man feels or says or does, is detrimentally affected. It's pervasive. Mentally, for example, such a person has become dull and has no good explanation for what he's thinking and doing. He cannot explain logically his thought process about all of this. It's silly. It's counterproductive. It's straight up wrong, and he keeps on saying it, thinking it, and doing it, and defending it, though he can't defend it. He cannot think straight, cannot live right, and cannot have a productive conversation about the mess. That's mentally. Then you go to emotionally. Such a person is broken. His emotions don't function properly. Peace and joy evaporate. He enters and lives in a realm of despair. Many of our fellow citizens have an anger that can only be described as rage. Descriptions of the hope of God do not soothe or heal him because he will not bow before this God and respond to God's hope with cheer and with rejoicing. Instead, his emotions resist and even react against God's word, God's people. The emotional life of such a person refuses to be comforted because God is the source of all comfort, and they don't want to acknowledge that there is such a God. They've rejected the Creator. And so it's not a surprise that they feel down and feel mixed up and feel very, very, very angry. It's insolent is in the list that we read. It's extreme anger. And then spiritually, such a person has given up trying to be in harmony with God's holy law. Such a person has blurred the distinction between right and wrong. Such a person climbs down further the rungs of the ladder of depravity and the spiral downward into worse and worse behavior. This person will say things wrong, do things wrong, think bad thoughts, and not even be able to evaluate himself to see the danger he's in and the damage that he's causing to himself and others, and it just gets worse and worse. The conditions are such, as describes in verse 24 to 32, that it's a little awkward for me to read it in front of you. It's bad. The only hope of the human race is the rescuing work of Christ's Spirit in the Gospel news. If you're not thankful, please take this seriously. Please pray, God send the Spirit of Christ after me I need mercy again and right away. If there's a measure of your spiritual health 
it's probably thankfulness. You can take someone's temperature, right, to, to start to evaluate a person's medical health. How do we start to evaluate your spiritual health? I would say thankfulness is right up there. If you're not thankful, take notice and listen carefully as I have one more point and an application to us. Their third point is this. God calls our minds to thankfulness to replace our conniving, senseless darkness. There is no neutral position. Some people are thankful. Some people are not. I'm just kind of ambivalent. Meh, as the kids say. M-E-H, meh. That's not even a word. So the young people love to say what's not a word. Meh. But you understand what they mean. Doesn't make a difference. In German, it's Max nix. Doesn't really matter. You don't get away with that in this category. You either thank God for all of his benefits or you become darkened in your mind. What's the opposite of a thankful mind? This passage tells us it's a debased mind, a depraved mind, a very, very dark mind. There's no middle ground. You can either live life on a horizontal plane thinking only about what's happening on earth below the skies, as the book of Ecclesiastes says, underneath the sky, and argue and speculate about why this and why that, or you can live with a vertical dimension and think about your creator, think about your redeemer, speak to him, praise him, and live in communication with him through prayer and his word, and by his goodness adore and thank him constantly. It's one or the other. It's not stated in Romans 1 that if you're not giving thanks, we'll just apply a scale to you, and let's use a grade scale from school. You're not an A, naughty, naughty, you should be giving thanks. You're not even a B, you're a C on average. You're really not giving thanks, so it's, it's more of a C. Pay attention, do it a little better, Johnny. No, your spiritual not walk is not graded a C if you don't have thankfulness. It's far worse. A mind that is not thankful is useless, Paul says. It's futile. They, they're given over to futile thinking. Now, I understand that's talking about an unbeliever, but why should a believer be going there? A mind that is not thankful is trapped in the ungrateful patterns that have no business in a believer's life. An ungrateful mind begins to reason on its own terms. An ungrateful mind speculates without God's revelation in nature. Complaining heart figures and figures, devoid of what God has shown about himself in history, it becomes a self-pitying spirit, becoming deaf as a conscience to right and wrong. A foolish heart is one that will not thank God for the light and becomes more and more darkened. It really is animal-like. A famous pastor of Moody Church years ago in the past, H.A. Ironside, the one that died in 1951. Moody Church in Chicago is a famous big church, so we mention pastors from time to time. You might have heard of him if you studied some of church history. Pastor Ironside. So the story is told about Pastor Ironside. One day he had a meal in a very crowded restaurant. Just as he's beginning to enjoy his meal the man approaches him, some customer, and asked if he could join him at his table. The man simply wanted to get seated sooner and get served sooner, and the only way was to share a table and wink, wink, I'm your friend, aren't I? Could I please sit at your table? He 
He's a perfect stranger. He didn't know Pastor Ironside. Pastor Ironside said, have a seat. Go ahead. And then, as was his custom, since his food had arrived, Pastor Ironside folded his hands and bowed his head, spent a moment in prayer, thanking God for his food. And when he opened his eyes and looked across the other man as if to you know, start a conversation, the other man said, you have a headache? Pastor Ironside replied, no, no, I don't. This other man said, well, there's something wrong with your food? Pastor Ironside replied, no, I, I was simply thanking God, as I always do before I eat. And the man said, oh, you're one of those, are you? Well, I want you to know, Pastor Ironside, he says, I never give thanks. I just earn my own money by the sweat of my brow, and I don't have to give thanks to anybody when I eat. I just start right in. Pastor Ironside said, yes. You're just like my dog. That's what he does, too. (laughs) Pretty sharp, but it's true. He's speaking truth to his new friend. Romans 1 shows us there's no excuse for a human being made in the image of God, not to give thanks to God for anything, for the new day, for the sunrise, for the food set before us, for each breath, for each blessing. This American idea of self-reliance is first of all a myth, secondly, it's dark, and it spirals down into worse thought processes. This lie of rugged individualism is inaccurate, and impossible as a lifestyle. And please notice now, before I close, this beautiful literary structure that's meant for us to notice. It jumps off the page. And I tried to read it so that you would notice, but I'm now going to point it out quite overtly. There is a repeated verb here. Verse 24, God gave them up in the loss of their hearts to impurity. So there's one. Gave up or gave over. It's the same word in, English, in uh, Greek. Verse 26, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. That's number two. And the third occurrence, verse 28, God gave them up to a debased mind. Three times, gave them over, gave them over, gave them up. By the time we reach verse 32, they've not only become wrongdoers who have been given over to their wrong actions by God, they also have become hearty supporters for everything that anyone anywhere does that's wrong and evil. They just cheerlead wickedness wherever it occurs. That's how given over to a debased mind they have become by the end of the chapter. But it starts with God's actions, verse 24, verse 26, and verse 28, giving them over to a devious mind. The steps of the bad pathway down are indifference to God, then emptiness, then distance from God, then pride, then moral foolishness, then self-destructive patterns, then blatant idolatry, then false worship, and lastly, this giving over, this utter abandonment by God as God turns them over to suffer the natural conclusions and consequences of their own unthankful minds and hearts. It's shocking. It's sad. It's clear. But I want to give you the gospel. That same verb, giving them over, giving them over, 
You can either flip there or just listen as I read. Maybe you have this memorized. Romans 8.32, listen for it. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? The same verb is used there, that God gave over his own son to death for us all. Christ died for our sins of ingratitude. He paid for our wrongs. And he rose again to give us hope and a changed heart and mind. The only hope of the human race is the Lord Jesus Christ through the rescuing work of his spirit in the gospel. So what have we seen tonight? By God's power, we're given a thankful heart so that we're enabled to express thanks to God. This is not something that everybody has. It only belongs to believers. So our, point, our first point was that God enables us to express thanks to our creator. Uh, we're the only ones doing it. Because your basic person out there who doesn't trust in Christ doesn't even give thanks to their creator God. The second point was that God enables us to acknowledge him as God. That means to honor him, to respect him, to put his word above all things, to think his way, do things his way, to understand his ethic, his rules as the rules that all must live by. And third thing we saw that God calls our minds to become thankful minds and replaces the debased thoughts with thankful thoughts, thankful hearts, thankful minds. But if you're in danger, if you're not thankful, you're going down a path where we have no business going. The danger sign is here as we think through Romans chapter 1 and the condition and how God has changed our hearts through the rest of the book of Romans. I'll close with this illustration. Africa has the famous huge waterfall, Victoria Falls. Around that waterfall, it produces a cloud of mist that's so heavy it looks like fog. It impairs visibility. You, you, can't, you can't see real well around Victoria Falls. Well, there's this man that was walking along the path that skirts the, the gorge where the Zambezi River tumbles down over the waterfall, and he noticed that there was a sign out there on the rim but he could not make out what the sign said. So not wanting to miss whatever that sign might be noting to him as a visitor, he began to head towards the sign, and he slithered and he slid through the mud to the very brink of the cliff, only to read the sign, and the sign said, Danger, crumbling edge. It's an illustration of the absence of thankfulness in our lives if we have to come up to the very edge and realize that we are not thankful, we're already in a lot of spiritual danger. This is my one application. Take thankfulness seriously. It is an accurate gauge of our spiritual condition. That Christ has rescued us from a deathly condition of an ungrateful mind, a debased mind, and he has made Christ central to our lives and has made us thankful always to our God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the